All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight, open to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter number 11, Hosea chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 tonight. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. He says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and called my son out of Egypt. And they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam, and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me, though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. In Luke chapter 15, we have a parable that Jesus gives that many of us know as the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Most of us are familiar with that passage. There's a man that has two sons. One of the sons comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I don't want to wait until you're dead. I don't want to wait until the time to get it. I want it now. And the father goes ahead and gives him the inheritance. And the son takes the inheritance and goes into a far country, wastes all that he has. He blows it all. The Bible says on riotous living, just things that don't matter, frivolous stuff. And when he wastes it all, he realizes he has nothing left. Not only does he not have anything left, but all the people that were supposedly his friends that were partying with him and everything like that are no longer his friends. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him anymore. And so he finds out that there's a farmer that is in need of somebody to work for him. And so he goes and works for this farmer and he gets so desperate. The Bible says that he is feeding the pigs, feeding the pigs and so hungry that he's even almost fighting over the food that the pigs are eating. Of course, we're familiar with this passage of Scripture, but in chapter 11 of Hosea, this is exactly what we find, the prodigal son. The prodigal son was Israel. Notice God uses a little bit different analogy here. Throughout the early part of the passage, he's used the analogy of the husband and wife, Hosea and Gomer. The analogy between Hosea and Gomer, the wife, God being the husband, Israel being the wife, and how they've committed adultery. But here in chapter 11, he changes the analogy here to a prodigal son. He says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. He speaks of Israel as a son. And again, don't misunderstand this. This is is not referring to his son, Jesus Christ, that is going to come. He's talking about Israel as the son. A son that he loves. He says, when Israel was a child, 
then I loved him. Again, and he's, he's causing us to remember what happened with Israel, how God took Abraham and God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And then through Abraham, we have Isaac. And, and then we have Jacob. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And through Jacob or Israel, we have the 12 sons and then the 12 tribes. And, and of course, this, this nation begins to form. And, and so God is he's saying, look, when Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. A son that he loves. A son he's going to do great things with. A son that even during difficult times, God had already planned how he would provide for his son. You think about what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, when his brothers sold him into slavery. And when they come and they find out that it's Joseph and they're afraid for their lives and Joseph makes that famous statement. He says, ye thought evil unto me but God made it unto good even through a difficult time God seeing his son Israel and even through this difficult time had prepared a way to provide for them God was going to allow Joseph to go down into Egypt to be sold as a slave to be lied about in Potiphar's house for a reason so that he could save his son so he could save his people from the famine that was there and provide for them. And then when the son cries out to be delivered from Egypt, as they have stayed in Egypt, and instead of going back to the promised land, they stayed there and, and just began to remain there and think of Egypt as their home. But then, of course, the Egyptians turned against them. Pharaoh says, hey, who are these people? And they put them into slavery. And for 400 years, they're there. and They begin to cry out for deliverance. And God, the Father, hears the cry of His Son. He hears the cry of Israel. And He delivers them from Egypt. He frees His Son from bondage and brings them into a land flowing with milk and honey. I loved Him, He says. And called my Son out of Egypt. It's interesting, when you think about what God is doing, He's causing them to remember He's causing them to remember. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, a correct understanding of God's dealings in the past is the best way to be certain of success in the future. To understand how God has dealt in the past is the best way to have success in the future. There's a philosopher named George Santiana who said this. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. He's helping them to remember where they were as a child. He's, he's, he's using this analogy as a son, as a child, when they were young. And he says he had this, this enormous love for their son, for this son. And after all that God had done for Israel... This love that he had for them. These great plans he had for them. Calling them out of Egypt. Bringing them out. Leading them through the wilderness. Bringing them into the promised land. What does it say that they did? In verse number 2 it says, And they called them 
So they went from them, they sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. After all God had done for his son, Israel, he, he refused to return his love and obey his will. Israel refused to return the love that the father had shown. God had shown them this great love and he had provided for them and brought them out. And, and as soon as they got into the promised land, what does he say? They immediately turned away from God and they turned to Balaam. They turned to these, these idols and began to burn incense to these graven images. What did Israel do with God's love? They turned from it. They went after these false gods, these gods who had done nothing for them. Nothing for them. Let me see if we can put this into perspective. As, as best we can. Again, we are talking about God. It's very hard to be able to truly understand the mind of God. But let's see if we can maybe put this into perspective a little bit. How would you feel if after all you've done for your children... Feeding them, taking care of them as, as a baby, those late nights, the diapers that have to be changed, the clothes that have to be bought, the car seats, the strollers, I mean, all these different things that go into to parenting. And as the child begins to get older, the, the, if you haven't noticed, they don't stay in those clothes very long. They outgrow them pretty quick. They outgrow their shoes pretty quick. And it's for some reason, as a child, everything only lasts about a month. I don't know what that, I mean, a toothbrush only lasts about a month if they use it. Uh, you know, shoes only last about, socks only last about a month. I mean, nothing lasts longer than a month with a kid. I mean, it's just, they're constantly having to get something new. I've outgrown my shoes. I've outgrown my pants. I've outgrown my shirts. I've outgrown this. I got to have this again. I mean, there's this constant providing provision Feeding them. Oh, my word. Can you imagine what your food bill would have been if it was just you and your wife? Right? And no kids? Right? I mean, man, you could have had steak every night with as much money we put into these kids. Right? I mean, we could have been living good. But no. We, we bought food for them. They, they like cereal. They like this. They like that. And so we provide for them. We, we, we feed them. We clothe them. We, lurk, we work long hours for them. Taking them on vacations and wanting to leave them there. <laughs> I mean, everything that you can think of, you've done for them, right? I mean, think of all that you've done because you love them. These are your children. You love them. You've provided for them. You've fed them. You've clothed them. You've, you've spent enormous amounts of money on them because you love them. And then you hear them say, well, I wish I was in that family. Huh. Can you imagine how crushed you would feel? All that you've done for your kids and then for your child to say, Boy, I wish I had that family. It'd be crushing. But then it's not just hearing them say it. Now they're always wanting to be with that family. They don't want to be at home. 
They don't want to be with mom and dad. They want to be with them. They want to be over there. They don't want to be with you. I mean, all that you've done for them, all that you've provided for them, the love and the care that you've shown them, and then they turn around and say, I don't care about any of that. I don't love you anymore. I want to be with this family over here. Again, that's, that's just a small, I mean, we can't even really fathom that, but this is what God is saying. I did all of this for you. I, I, you were my child. I took you as my son, and I had these great plans for you. I provided for you. I did all of this for you. And then as soon as I bring you into the promised land, you turn your back on me, and you say, God, I want nothing to do with you. I want to be with them. Just like that father in Luke chapter 15 Where the son comes and says, Dad, I don't care if you're alive or dead. I want my inheritance now. And I'm going to spend it the way I want to spend it. You imagine what that father must have felt? Imagine what God felt when Israel says they called them so they went from them. They sacrificed them to Balaam and burned incense to graven images. God said, can you imagine how I feel after all I've done for you? And you just turn away. We see his love for his son, but notice in the next few verses we see God's care for his son. Again, look at the picture of a father and a son here. I taught Ephraim also to go taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. And again, sometimes if we just read through a passage, we're like, man, I didn't really understand that. I didn't really get what he's saying because we don't stop and really think about it. Think about what he says. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. What's he talking about? He's talking about teaching a child how to walk. When that, when, that, when that child, he's just a baby, he's just crawling around on the ground. And then what do you do? You take the child by the hands and you try, to, you try to get him to stand up a little bit. And then what do you do? You kind of pull them forward a little bit. They're a little unstable on their feet. You kind of pull them forward a little bit. What are you trying to do? You're trying to get them to get that foot to kind of, come on, come on, you can do it. And they take a step. And you're like, yeah, you took a step. Oh, yes, I'm so proud of you. They didn't take the step. You pulled them. What are you talking about? And then what do you do? You pull them a little bit more. Come on, you can do it. Take another step. Take it. And then they just kind of throw that leg out there. You're like, yeah, you did it. I'm so proud of you. What are you doing? You're taking them by the arm and you're, you're teaching them how to go. You're teaching them how to walk. God says, this is what I did with you, Israel. This is what I did with Ephraim. I taught you how to walk. Just like a father takes the time and, and, and always there to, trying to help his son, trying to help his child to, to take that next step, to learn the next thing that they need to do. He says, I taught Ephraim to go, taking them by their arms. Teaching him to walk. God says he taught Ephraim to walk. Think about this. Throughout the wilderness journey, God was watching over them. They didn't know how to fight. They'd been slaves. They weren't a military army. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know where they were going. They had no clue. 
What was God doing? God was taking them by the hand and saying, okay, you've got to trust me. I'm, I'm dad. You've got to trust me. Come on, take, the, take that step. Come on. I, I know you don't understand. You're, you're a little wobbly, but come on, take that step. You've got to trust me. Come on, take that step. And what happens as a father and a mother continue to teach that child, what happens? They begin to balance by themselves. And then they're like, without mom and dad's help, they, they, try, to, they try to take that step. And they're like, yay, you really did it this time. Yay. And then they try to take another step. And you're like, oh, great. There they go. They're never coming back. They taught him how to walk. God says, I taught you these things. You didn't know how to do it for yourself. A a baby doesn't know how to get food for itself. The parents have to do it for them. He says, I taught you how to go, taking them by their arms. And he says, but they knew not that I healed them. When a child falls down and scrapes their knee, Scrapes their elbow. Usually it's mom that they run to. <laughs> mom, I got a bit Kiss it. So there's magical power in kissing a boo-boo, I'm telling you. I mean, it's bloody murder. And then when mom kisses, it's all better. Magical powers in those kisses, right? But he said, I healed you. I'm the one that took care of you. When you were hurting, I was there to comfort you. I took care of you. I healed you. But yet, you didn't, even, you didn't even give me the observance of what I did. He treated them with such love and care. Notice what he says in verse 4. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws. And I laid meat unto them. He says, he bound himself Just like you would take a rope and bind something to to something else, right? He says, he bound himself to them in love. I drew them with the cords of man, with bands of love. He, He bound himself to them in love. God says his love is so great for them. Not like a yoke. Did you see the illustration here? Or even like a, a bit and a bridle, like on an animal. When you put a yoke on an animal, you're not, there's, there's no love in that. They're, they're there to work. When you put a bit in a horse's mouth and a bridle on, man, that's, that's uncomfortable. A horse, they're, they're, not, they're not enjoying that. It's not comfortable for them. They're, they're there for one purpose, to be, to be led and to be told exactly what to do. He says, but I, I bound you with love. I took off that bit and bridle. I took off that yoke. I, I showed you love. He cared for them. He provided for them. Everything they needed. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because they disobeyed God. And guess who took care of them for 40 years? God did. How do you get water in a desert to feed Millions of people. I don't know. Neither did they. They didn't know how to get water in a desert. So what do they do? They come grumbling, complaining. We're out of water. We need water. We're going to die. Our animals are going to die. We need water. God says, Moses, strike the rock. If you've ever hit a rock with a stick, let me tell you something. Nothing happened. 
But when Moses struck the rock, God said, let me show you how much I love you. Let me show you how much I care about you. I'll even make water come out of a rock. Not just a little drizzle. He said, I'm going to make water come out of a rock that's going to be enough to sustain two million people plus all of your livestock as well. Where are they going to get food in a desert to sustain two million people for 40 years? God said, I did that. I took care of you. I cared for you. I bound myself to you in love. Not, not, I didn't put a bit and a bridle on you. I didn't put a yoke upon you. I bound myself with bounds, with bands of love, he says. I took off the yoke on their jaws and I laid meat unto them. He said, I'm the one that provided the meat for you. I provided the water. I provided meat. He says, I provided everything for you. They enjoyed God's blessings, but they took God for granted. Within one generation of being led into the promised land, they had turned away from God and turned unto idols. One generation. Within just one generation of being brought into the promised land, of all that God had done for them, delivering them from Egypt, providing for them for 40 years in the promised land or in the wilderness, one generation passes and they turn away from God. They turn to these false idols. He loved them, He loved His Son, He cared for His Son. And in verses 5 through 7, we see that he was long-suffering for his son. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king because they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return. How many times do we find the children of Israel murmuring and complaining in the wilderness? Over and over and over, they're murmuring, they're complaining. We don't have this. We don't have this. Yet God had, God had provided for them every step of the way. When they didn't have water, when they didn't have food, when an enemy came over and over, they complained. And then they said they wanted to go back to Egypt. What God had delivered them from. The bondage that they cried to be delivered from when God brought them out and God provided for them. Oh, we wish we had the garlics from Egypt. Look, I like garlic, but I don't think there's any garlic that good. To go back into bondage for? Oh, the fish. Look, fish is all right, but come on, really? You want to go back into bondage so you can have fish? I mean, don't you remember what happened in Egypt? Don't you remember the taskmasters? Don't you remember the beatings? Don't you remember the, that you didn't have to do, you, you had to do exactly what they said? You were the slave? 
You had to make the tally of bricks, and if you didn't, you got punished for it? Don't you remember these things? And now you're complaining and saying, oh, we wish we were back in Egypt. Instead of praying to God and giving thanks for his deliverance and mercies, they complained. They complained. And yet, God would not allow them to go back. He would not allow them to go back to Egypt. He says he shall not return into the land of Egypt. God would not allow them to go back to Egypt. Because he not only knew the blessing he had ahead for them, but he also knew the destruction and the pain it would bring if they went back to Egypt. You know, sometimes God does not allow us what we want, not simply because he knows what is best for us in this direction but he also knows if we went this way, the hurt and the destruction and the pain that it would cause. And so God is doing two things. He's keeping us from pain and he's trying to lead us to the blessing. God says, I'm not going to let you go back to Egypt. I've got something far better for you. It's called the promised land. I mean, you guys, you guys tasted a little bit of it. You saw the, the grapes of Eskel. You saw the, the land that flowed with milk and honey. That's before you. That's what I have for you. I'm not going to let you go back to Egypt. I'm not going to let you go, go back there and die there in, in the mud and in, in slavery. I'm, that, that's, that's painful. That's destruction. I have something better for you. He was long-suffering to them. I mean, think about it. Moses, I mean, Moses said, God, I, I feel like I'm done with these people. All they do is complain all the time. All they, they, they're never happy. They're never content. And so what does he say? He says, I won't let them go back into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king. Because they would not return, they would have to endure captivity by the Assyrians. The prodigal son did not have to get to the hog pen to turn around. He didn't have to get to the hog pen. The prodigal son could have walked down that road about a mile and said, you know what, I am absolutely wrong. I just disrespected my father. I, I spit in his face. I am so ashamed. And he could have turned around at that moment and he could have went back and he never would have experienced the hog pen. But why did he experience the hog pen? Because he would not return. God says, I'm not going to let you go back to Egypt, but you are going to make it to the hog pen. The Assyrians are going to be your king. You are going to be captive. You are going to go under the Assyrian captivity. And notice again, why does he say this? Because they refused to return. God had told them over and over and over, 
I don't know what happened with that young man when he left his father, but there's no doubt in my mind that there were times in his, in his heart and in his life when he said, you know what, I did my dad wrong. I should go back. But then the things of the world came back. And, oh, no, I, I still have to have. There's still fun I want to do. There's these friends. I got to be with these friends. And, oh, you know what, man, I wonder what my dad's doing back there. Oh, no, look at what the world's doing. There were times in his life, no doubt, that God worked in his heart and said, hey, you, you owe your father an apology. You ought to return. And he kept pushing it off and pushing it off. No, 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 I'm going to have my fun. No, 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 I'm going to do what I want to do. No, 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 no. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And that's exactly what Israel did. The prodigal son, they would not return. God says, okay, I'm not going to let you go back to Egypt, but you are going to make it to the hog pen. Look what he says in verse number six. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them. Why? Because of their own counsels. You know what they did? They made plans without God. They said, God, we don't need you to make plans. We don't need to ask you what is right and what is wrong. We're going to do what we want to do. Can I tell you, young people, teenagers, young adults, adults, when you leave God out of your plans, you're asking for problems. You say, I don't need God's, I don't need God's advice. I can handle it myself. Yeah, that's what Israel said. We don't need God's counsel anymore. We don't need to listen to God. We don't need to follow what God says And this is exactly what he says. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches because of their own counsels. They said, we we know what's best. We've got it all figured out. We don't need to follow God anymore. They did what they wanted without seeking God. And so God says all their well-thought-out plans would end in destruction. You know why? Because he was their son. He was God's son. Israel was God's son. And God says, I can't just allow this to continue and continue and continue without any discipline, without any punishment. And if we're a child of God, if we think we can just go on living in sin day after day after day, saying, God, I don't need you. I don't need to get your counsel. I don't need to follow you. Then God says, hey, let me tell you something. You're headed for destruction. Read Hebrews chapter 12. It's very clear. The Bible says, every child whom he receiveth, he chasteneth everyone. Why? Because he loves them. Because he loves them. He wants them to do what is right. And my people, verse 7, are bent to backsliding from me. They were determined to backslide away from God. They were determined. When they got into trouble, would they call out to God? Sure. And would God graciously help them? Yes, he did. From the time they went into the promised land, after one generation, they turned away from God. For the next 350 years, you know what they did? They got into trouble. They got into trouble, and then what did they do? Oh, God, please help us. You know what God did? He helped them. And after God helped them, you know what they did? They went back into trouble. Oh, God, please help us. You know what God did? He helped them. You read about it in the book of Judges. 
In 350 years, a little bit more than that, there were 12 judges. 12 judges in 350 years. If, if you just take that on average, that's every 30 years they were backsliding. Every 30 years they were backsliding. Every 30 years, no, God, we got this. We don't need you anymore. We got it figured out. We're, we're, we're good. Now, you'll find that it, it wasn't every 30 years. Sometimes, on average, it was 30 years, but sometimes it was only six years. There was one time, one time in that 350 years that actually for 80 years they followed the Lord. But most of the time, it was only like six years, seven years, 10 years. And then what they do? They backslid. They backslid. He says, they just, they're determined to turn away from God. Even understanding the graciousness of God, even understanding the long-suffering of God, they are still determined to backslide, to turn away. And he says, though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. God says, you're going to call out, and I'm not going to be there anymore. He's long-suffering, but God says there does come a time when enough is enough. Enough is enough. And you're going to call out to the Most High. I'm not going to be there anymore. And we think, oh, God's long-suffering, God's gracious, I can keep on sinning and, and I'll ask him to forgive me and he'll forgive me and he'll bless me again and I can go back to what I'm doing and, I, and then I'll, I'll ask God to forgive me and I'll, God will be gracious and he'll forgive me and then I'll go back to what I'm doing and then I'll ask God to forgive me and, and he'll be gracious. Oh yeah, you can do that a couple times, but finally God says, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. Because you're determined to backslide. prodigal son had every opportunity to return before he ever made it to the hog pen but he wouldn't do it Israel had every opportunity to return but they wouldn't do it you say what what did God do we're gonna have to come back next week and find out Because there is something beautiful in the rest of the chapter. But here's the thing. As beautiful as the rest of the chapter is, can I call your attention to the very first verse? When Israel was a child, then I loved him. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus himself says, If you have the faith of a child and enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about children, their faith, their trust. But as we get a little bit older, we begin to think, I don't need God anymore. I'm mature. I'm an adult. I've got it figured out. God says, would you just... Would you just let me take your hands? Would you just let me take your hands and just lead you? God, I know how to walk. (laughs) I know how to get my own food. I know how to feed myself. God said, would you just, 
Would you just let me teach you? Would you just let me be the father that you need to be? And you be the son. It's not your job to be the father. It's our job to be the son. It's his job to be the father. What do we do? Do we get that stubborn, rebellious, no, nah, I don't need God? Friend, if that's, if that's your attitude, you're going to end up in the hog pen because that's the attitude of a prodigal son. But here's the wonderful thing about it. You don't have to end up in the hog pen. You can repent and you can return to the Father right now. And he will throw his arms around you and he will welcome you back. But that choice, that choice has to be yours. I wonder whether their heads bowed and their eyes closed. No one looking about. I wonder, have we left the Father? Hey, God, I can, I can walk my own. I don't need you to hold my hands. God, I, I, don't, need you to, I don't need you to feed me. I can, I can feed myself. I don't need you to make the decisions for me anymore, God. I can make my own decisions. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's what the prodigal son said. dad I don't need you anymore I've got it all figured out and he ended up in the hog pen maybe you're headed to the hog pen maybe you're not there yet you said God I don't need you I don't need you I can do it myself friend there's an opportunity tonight that you can repent and return to the Father. But that has to be your decision. Or you can be like Israel and say, God, I don't need you. I'll take the blessings, and they just took it for granted. God says, all right. Then destruction is going to come. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, even as the piano just begins to play softly, Lord, maybe there's somebody tonight, Lord, that you're speaking to their hearts. Lord, they know, they've said, God, I don't, I don't need you in my life. I don't need you to help me. I don't need you to hold my hands. I don't need to get counsel from you. I'll do it myself the way I want to do it. Lord, if they're your child tonight, I pray that you'd help them to realize with that attitude, they're just like that prodigal son and they're going to end up in the hog pen. Lord, you're standing there waiting for them to return. If they'll just stop and recognize what they're doing, turn around and return to you. Lord, you're standing there to welcome them with open arms. Lord, would you work in hearts tonight? 
whatever it might be as the piano just continues to play softly. Is God speaking to your heart about something tonight?